Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. What up, y'all? Welcome in to the latest edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander, and thank you all so much for listening to the podcast here on Wednesday, November 30th, 2022, on the last day of the 11th month of the year. It is episode 84 of the Xander's Facts Podcast, and it is, of course, a big podcast, as all our podcasts are every week. But this one is very big, because once again this week, we are talking about a little sport that I like to call soccer, because that is what it's called. It's not called football. It's called soccer, by the way. The World Cup, which has been going on, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks on this podcast. I've got another update for you all to update you on everything that's been going on, whether you've watched the games, whether you haven't. I've got all the facts that you need to know about the World Cup, because on Tuesday... November 29th, damn recording this podcast, something very big happened. Very, very big. If you say so. Which, hopefully you all know by now, but we'll get to that in just a second, because I am very excited. And this week we are also staying in sports, talking about college football, because we haven't talked about football in months on this podcast, because I haven't really cared. World Cup's been on my mind. But it is the end of the college football season. The conference championship games are being played this weekend. The regular season is over, and also this weekend, we're going to find out the four teams that are in the college football playoff this year. We're going to talk about that and all the things that are going on in college football later on on this podcast. But before we get into all that, I just thought that I would remind you before we get started on this podcast that if you like the Xander's Facts podcast, if you're listening for the first time and you think you're going to like all the facts, on this week's edition of the podcast. First off, welcome. Spread the facts to all your friends. But before you do that, first, remember to follow this podcast. Click the follow button, subscribe, whatever, on your podcast app, website, whatever. Download this episode, episode 84. Rate and review the podcast. And then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Xander's Facts is on there all the time. That's Xander with the Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends. Spread the facts! Xander's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends about the Xander's Facts Podcast, about Xander's Weekend Facts, our weekly newsletter that has the top headlines from the past week compiled into one newsletter. It's absolutely incredible. Sign up if you haven't in the episode description. Check out the Xander's Facts link tree because it has all the Xander's Facts links that you need, including for the new Xander's Facts website, xandersfacts.com, which houses the Xander's Facts shop. By the way, y'all, I know that Black Friday and Cyber Monday just happened, but if you happen to be, you know, pondering, what should I get uh, my niece or my son or my grandmother or whoever, my best friend, what should I get them for the holidays? Well, I have a good idea. How about a Xander's Facts mug or a sweatshirt or a flag. I don't, you could get them a Xander's Facts flag, sure. There's a ton of Xander's Facts stuff on xandersfacts.com, on the Xander's Facts shop. A lot of nice styles, a lot of nice products. Check it out. Get your stuff at xandersfacts.com. That's the Xander's Facts shop. So, with all that shilling out of the way, whoops. let's get to our first topic of the day, one I am super, oh my gosh, 
Last week, I was excited to talk about this, but this week, I'm even more excited to talk about it. We are talking World Cup. That's where we're going to start this podcast this week, because it is time to get back on that World Cup grind, y'all. The 5 a.m. kickoffs are thankfully over. The earliest kickoff from now on into the World Cup, into the final, is 10 a.m., so thank goodness for that, because I did not like waking up at 5 a.m., even though there were World Cup games, I like watching them. That was not for me, so thank goodness for that. But you gotta get back on your grind, y'all, if you haven't. If you've been slacking... Terrible! It's time to get back on the grind. But no fear, if you think getting caught up is gonna take a long time, it's not. All you have to do is listen to this podcast, because I have got everything that's been going on in the World Cup. I'm gonna tell it to you straight, I'm gonna tell you the facts, everything that's been going on with this World Cup. Because if you didn't know... In the World Cup, there are 64 matches, games, being played in this World Cup. As of Tuesday, there's going to be games being played on Wednesday. So by the time you listen to this podcast, there may have already been games played on Wednesday. But after the games on Tuesday, we have played 36 matches. So that is, we are over halfway done with this World Cup, which is kind of sad. But also, when you think about it, not just from a soccer standpoint, from you know, a humanitarian standpoint from all the other standpoints we've been looking at off the field, you're like, hmm, maybe that's not such a bad thing. But, you know, life rolls on. So, halfway through, but we're still not out of the group stage yet. We are in the final matches of the group stage, though. Those begin on Tuesday, and they continue until Friday. So we're going to talk about those, of course, because there are still teams who don't know if they're going to be advancing to the knockouts or if they're just going to be eliminated but there are a bunch of teams who do know at this moment so we're going to talk about that as well by the way if you haven't listened to the update last week you should probably go do that because there were a lot of facts in there a lot of off the field just said off the field stuff a lot of off the field stuff has been going on in this world cup which we talked about in our preview two weeks ago and then went back to again last week on this podcast but thankfully with Qatar and FIFA, which we were basically talking about, uh, the -the off-the-field issues, there hasn't been many more developments, thankfully, that I am aware of. So we don't really have to talk about that. There are, you know, there's a certain country and team that's been a little ornery, so we are going to talk about that in a little bit. But we're going to stick mainly to on-the-field stuff on this podcast for our World Cup update for Wednesday, November 30th. So, as I said, group stage isn't done, so let's break down the state of all eight groups, because the group stage is coming to a close. So after that entirely too long introduction, Gash facts. let's go to Group A. That is where we start. And in Group A, there will be no more group games played. Group A and Group B played their third and final group games on Tuesday. So we know the two teams who are advancing, and we know the two teams who were eliminated. So, in Group A, we have got Netherlands with seven points after three matches, Senegal with six points, Ecuador with four, and the host nation, Qatar, with zero. So, as you can tell, Netherlands and Senegal advance, Ecuador and Qatar have been eliminated. Netherlands were the clear favorite in Group A, but they kind of looked a little shaky at the beginning of the tournament. They drew 1-1 to Ecuador. That was actually in the second match. The first match, 
They did beat Senegal 2-0, but both their goals, I believe, came after the 80th minute. Did not look that impressive. And then they draw Ecuador 1-1. Ecuador was actually, they were kind of a surprise in this group. And then all they had to do with the final game was beat Qatar, Netherlands did. And they did do that, 2-0. Qatar, oh boy, got a, well... Qatar, by the way, here's a fact, they are the first host nation to be eliminated from the tournament after two games. That's impressive. They didn't even really need to play their third game because they already knew they were out. They lost 2-0 to Ecuador in the opening game, 3-1 to Senegal. They scored a goal and 2-0 to Netherlands. So Qatar... By the way, I mean, Qatar won the Asian Cup in 2019. They also played respectably in the Gold Cup last summer. Apparently, they're going to play in it again in 2023, which, ugh. But I thought they'd be more respectable in this. But clearly, that was not the case. And they have set some records for a host nation that you just do not want to set. So, basically... Netherlands were basically going to be Qatar, so we were like, Netherlands are going to advance. But in the other game, on Tuesday, was Senegal and Ecuador. This game was massive, because those two teams were basically battling it out for that second spot from Group A in the knockouts. That game, Senegal won 2-1 over Ecuador. Senegal actually started off the scoring in the 44th minute. There was a penalty. By Ismaila Sar in the 44th minute. That put up Senegal up 1-0. But Moises Caicedo evened it up for Ecuador, which was pretty big because a tie meant that Ecuador, which had four points coming into that, a tie put them ahead of Senegal because Ecuador then would have gotten five. Senegal then would have only had four points. If they drew, Ecuador would have advanced. However, 70th minute, Kaladu Koulibaly, Chelsea's own, who hasn't, he's barely seen the pitch actually for Chelsea, but he scored in the 70th minute, which gave Senegal all the boosts they needed, six points, they were ahead of Ecuador, they win and advance to the knockouts. How about that? So Group A is decided, and so is Group B. Oh my gosh. Here we go. You all know that we were all focused on Group B, because the teams in Group B, England, Iran, Wales, and the United States of America, the red, white, and blue, America, were in Group B with Wales, England, I mean, England, a pretty big team, and then Iran, of course, you have all the political, off-the-field stuff with Iran, which we'll get to, by the way, but... USA, Wales, that first game, which we broke down last time on the podcast, 1-1 because of a Gareth Bale penalty. US dominated much of that game except for that, so they drew. England, we didn't talk about this yet on the podcast because we haven't had a podcast since Friday when this game happened. England nil, USA nil, another draw. And I thought the US actually performed better against England than they did against Wales because they performed better for 90 minutes. I know it was on Friday, but it just feels like so long ago because there have been a ton of games since Friday. But really, I mean, in the months since April 1st, which was when the draw was announced, which is when we finally knew who we would play in our group, and that was England, 
That was the most hyped game, because of course it's England. England has never beaten the United States in the World Cup. The US has beaten England once, and they have drawn twice in the World Cup. Fact! So there you go. But apparently, the match we should have all been focusing on was the third one, against Iran. Because, oh boy. First off, before we even get to the the on-the-field stuff, there was a lot of off-the-field drama that happened between the U.S. and Iran. So, we all know about the protests going on in Iran, and how the Iranian government is killing hundreds of its citizens for protesting. Well, the U.S. on Sunday, or Saturday, I believe it was, one of those days this weekend, posted an image on social media. It had, it was basically like a match, you know, next matches Iran. Instagram post. It had the Iranian flag, but it took out the Islamic symbol on the Iranian flag. So Iran was not happy about that. They actually said, we want FIFA to ban the United States from the World Cup. How could they do this to us? The US, by the way, it was, they probably shouldn't have done that, but it was all in goodwill because they wanted to support the protesters in Iran. But it really just caused a lot of trouble. So the U.S. social media team, I guess, then deleted the post after they said it was their intention to make the flag in that manner on that post. But they deleted it later that on Monday, I believe, in the press conference, Greg Berhalter apologized, the manager for the U.S. men's national team. It was this whole big thing. And then, of course, we have the press conferences, Iran journalists, and really, they don't have free and fair you know, media in Iran, so it's state media propaganda. These journalists who come to the press conference because the U.S. is playing Iran don't really ask about soccer. They tended to ask about other things in that press conference, including these are actual quotes of questions that were asked of Greg Berhalter and the captain of the U.S. men's national team, Tyler Adams, on Monday. One of these questions, quote, Why is it that you do not ask your government to take away its military fleet from the Persian Gulf? That was asked to Greg Berhalter, because of course he is that powerful. GGG. That's not a fact. Also another question, quote, What percentage of the population of the world will be happy because of the win of the national team of Iran? And what percentage of the whole population of the world will be happy if the United States soccer team wins? I guess that's kind of about soccer, but... Not really. Another question, quote, I've been at New York about two months ago, and there was no support of your team as the high rise of inflation and economical problems. Do you think the American people support your team and you? Or no, they don't care about it. Okay, uh, yeah. And then, there was this question, I'm gonna play the audio for you because it was just mind-blowing, the question that was asked to Tyler Adams. But also, I wanted to play it because Tyler Adams' response was absolutely masterful. It was perfect, because I can tell you that if I was asked this question, I would have lost it, basically, on the reporter. I'd be like, what is wrong with you? But I probably would have used some other language. What are you implying? But yeah, I wanted to play this because of the absurdity of the question from the Iranian reporter in, you know, air quotes. And also the response from Tyler Adams. You say you support the Iranian people, but you're pronouncing our country's name wrong. 
Our country is named Iran, not Iran. Please, once and for all, let's get this clear. Second of all, um, are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? And uh, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement uh, over the past few years. My apologies on uh, the mispronunciation of your country. Um, yeah, that being said, you know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. Um, you know, one thing that I've learned, especially from living abroad in the past years and uh, having to fit in in different cultures, is that in the U.S. we're, we're continuing to make progress uh, every single day. I grew up in a, in a white family with an obviously an African-American heritage and background as well. So um, I had a little bit of uh, different cultures and I, I was very, very easily able to assimilate in different different cultures. So, um, you know, not everyone has that, that ease and uh, the ability to do that. And obviously it takes longer to understand. And through education, I think it's it's super important. Like you just educated me now on the pronunciation of, of your country. So, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a process. I think as, as long as you see progress, uh, that's the most important thing. I mean, first off, it's just like, what kind of a question is that? Like, all the stuff you've got going on in Iran, and that's what you're going to focus on? Like, first off, okay. But also, what an absolute masterclass of a response from Tyler Adams. 23 years old. And first off, the captain of the United States men's national team. And that response, I mean, that's just... Tyler Adams is not just a tremendous player, because he absolutely is, but just a tremendous human being. Tyler Adams, oh my gosh. So, yeah, there was all that that went on with the U.S. and Iran off the pitch. And of course, during Iran's press conference, the FIFA officials actually didn't call on any of the American journalists when the Iran coach and players were having their press conference. So, oh, yes, of course, FIFA is the greatest thing in the history of the world. Okay. Xander spreading lies. But there was all that, and then there was the game. The U.S. had two points. Iran had three. They had lost to England 6-2. They got smashed. Then they beat Wales 2-0. Both their goals came after the 90th minute. After Wales were sent down to 10 men after their goalkeeper, Wayne Hennessy, got a red card for doing something he should not have done. And after that, Iran basically barraged Wales and 2-0. There you go. So Iran had three points. U.S. had two. Wales had one. England, coming into match day three, had four. And so basically, in the U.S.-Iran game, all the U.S. has to do is win. Win and you advance. Because if you win, you get five points. If Wales wins, they have four points. England has four points. Iran, three points. You have five points. You advance. You actually win the group in that scenario. But if England, if even if England won, they would have seven, and the U.S. would have five. And Wales would have one, and Iran would have three. So you advance. If you draw, however, you do not advance. If you lose, you do not advance. So this was a... Must win situation. Didn't matter the margin. Just win the game. Please. Just win the game. Well. Not as easy as you may have thought because, again, Iran doesn't need a goal. They don't need goals. If they hold the U.S. to no goals, they advance because a draw sends Iran to the knockouts and not the U.S. So, basically, all Iran needs to do is park the bus and... Stop the U.S. from scoring. Hasn't been that hard to stop the U.S. from scoring in this tournament. Before that, they only scored one goal 
It was a pretty nice goal by Timothy Weah on the assist from Christian Pulisic. But they didn't score against England. They didn't score elsewhere against Wales. And a lot of that, they had chances. A lot of that was just because they couldn't finish. So they come into Iran against Iran. And in the first half, they're looking pretty good. Even with, basically, Iran was not really parking the bus, as in standing in defensively. But they were still in a very defensive tactical position. They were clearly trying to basically just U.S. can't score. They were time-wasting in the first half. Doesn't matter, though, because... Or, here, I'll just let you hear what it sounded like before I explain it to y'all. This audio, courtesy of Fox Sports. Tyler Adams. Austin McKinney, Des making a big run. It's meant for him. Des is stuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic! Scores! Might have paid the price, but the U.S. takes the lead! Yeah, Christian Pulisic did pay the price for that goal, but he still scored, and it was pretty incredible because... Basically, if you couldn't decipher from that audio, or if you haven't watched, Weston McKinney finds a streaking Serginho Dest on the far side. Serginho Dest is basically a perfect pass. Dest heads it. He's on the far side, into the middle, right near the goal. Pulisic is there, and he knocks it home. But then he runs into Aran's keeper, which then left Pulisic on the ground in the goal. For several minutes. This began, the goal was in the 38th minute. And then for the next few minutes, actually, the game was stopped because, of course, there was a goal and Pulisic was getting tended to. He then went off to the side, walked around for a little bit. They still had not subbed him in. He comes back in for a few minutes. There were five minutes of stoppage time, I believe, in the first half. So there was still a bunch of time. He came in. He did, you know, did not look 100% at all. But. He still came in and came back and played, which was incredible. And then halftime, he comes out. Brendan Aronson comes in for Pulisic. And then Pulisic actually went to the hospital to get checked up. We were told it was an abdominal injury. And we have learned since then that Christian Pulisic has been diagnosed with a pelvic contusion. Oof. He is day to day. Their next match is Saturday. I'm going to get to those next matches, round of 16, in a second. But let's just say Pulisic thinks he's going to play because uh, he posted a Snapchat story of him in his hospital bed saying, or the quote is, quote, so effing proud of my guys. I'll be ready Saturday. Don't worry. Bunch of prayer emojis, bunch of heart emojis. So he's thinking he's going to be ready. Basically, basically what happens is he got kicked in the nuts, okay? That's what happened. Yikes! So, Christian Pulisic may have sacrificed his, I don't know if it's his dream, but his chance of being a father. However, he scored his first World Cup goal for the United States men's national team, something that every little kid dreams of, scoring for your country in the World Cup. And Christian Pulisic especially dreamed that for many years, 2018. Remember, 2018, Christian Pulisic was one of the few players on that field, or cow pasture, or whatever, in Trinidad and Tobago, where they lost in qualifying and did not qualify. Christian Pulisic, just a little kid, I mean, 18, 19 years old when that happened, and he's on the 
pitch sobbing after that happened. And then to watch him score that goal, even if he did get kicked in the nuts, oh my gosh. What a treat, Christian Pulisic. That's why they call him Captain America, the savior, Daddy P. I mean, call him whatever you want. But he scored that goal for the United States men's national team. Just the second goal of the group stage, and that was it. The U.S. won nil over Iran. That was it. The U.S. looked pretty dominant in that first half. Pulisic looked okay. Basically, he didn't look that great because they were, like, double-teaming him every time he got the ball. That's how you know he's so important to this U.S. team because Iran knew, let's double-team him because we're scared of what he's going to do. He comes off after halftime. Halftime, there's basically just this total switch. The U.S. were looking okay in the first 10, 20 minutes. But after that, I think Greg Berhalter just said, play defensive, park the bus, which I would not have done. I was... I was not very happy with Greg Berhalter. Let's just say it's not a good thing that we live-streamed the game or my reactions to the game in real time because let's just say, oh boy, I was not happy with Greg Berhalter at all. I was like, basically, Iran is going to come at you now because they need a goal. Iran were sitting back in the first half because they didn't need a goal. Now they need a goal because they're down and they're out. If the result holds 1-0, they're out of the World Cup. So they want to get a goal. And so Greg Berhalter implements these defensive tactics, which are basically the soccer equivalent of prevent defense in football, which is called prevent because it prevents you, who was doing the prevent defense, from getting the win because it never works. That's basically what he was doing. And Iran were pressuring, they were hammering the U.S. But listen, the players stood strong. Holy cow. First off, in the first half, we looked pretty dominant. Basically, the thing was, we needed to score a goal early, or at least in the first half, because if it goes into the second half where we're nil-nil and Iran doesn't need a goal, I mean, the defense was going to get insane. The U.S. were going to have a very tough time actually putting a ball in the back of the net which they've had a tough time already in this World Cup. So getting that goal in the 38th minute was absolutely huge. Then they go into the second half, they get in this more of defensive stance. We don't really see many chances, and the couple of chances we do, just they didn't look organized. Like it looked like it was a total flip-flop from the first half. They did not look organized on the chances they did have. They weren't really contesting for balls where they could have broken away. It's just like, At halftime, Greg Berhalter basically said, you know what, guys, we're up 1-0, defensive time. It's like a second goal. If the U.S. scores a second goal, Iran knows they are screwed. And it puts you in a much better position because now Iran don't need just one ball that goes to the back of the net. They need two. But apparently that's not what Greg Berhalter was thinking. There's been a lot of people who have been iffy on Greg Berhalter ever since he was hired, basically. I thought he did a really good job in these first two games of these wor- in the World Cup, basically because he didn't start guys like Aaron Long in defense. I'm sure Aaron Long's a very nice individual, but just Tim Ream is who you needed to have started. And he did, and it paid off because Tim Ream has been absolutely spectacular. The 35-year-old center back has been absolutely spectacular for the U.S. defense. And it's really helped that he's played with their left back, Anthony Robinson, at Fulham. They play together at Fulham every week. So I think in the World Cup, 
Greg Berhalter kind of, he's been known for really being conservative on his lineups, but didn't appear that that was really the case in some ways in this World Cup. In other ways, there were a lot of people who didn't want a traditional striker. We have three traditional strikers on the roster, Haji Wright, Jesus Ferreira, and Josh Sargent. But a lot of people wanted Tim Weah, who plays on the right wing, to basically come in as a false nine, or Pulisic on a false nine, so we could get Brendan Aronson or Giovanni Reina in the game. That did not happen. Greg Berhalter didn't do that. He started Josh Sargent, who I thought played really well, and then came off in the 77th minute for Haji Wright, and there was a noticeable drop-off. So, I mean, looking at it, Josh Sargent is probably going to be the striker going forward for this U.S. men's national team, including the game on Saturday. And then Pulisic was, of course, on the left. You bring in Aronson. Way was on the right. I thought that was probably his worst game out of the three, but he was still pretty well. And once again, the midfield, MMA, McKinney, Musa, Adams, was just incredible. It was Eunice Musa's 20th birthday, by the way. He played more minutes as a teenager for the U.S. men's national team than any player ever. It's the truth. More than Christian Pulisic, who is now second on that list. And he's no longer a teenager. He was 20 years old. And he actually got the best rating of the match from FOTMOB, an 8.0, on his birthday. How about that? But defensive mid, Tyler Adams, he's not just a great order off the pitch. He is a great player on the pitch, too. Weston McKinney was really good until he got tired. And then when Weston McKinney gets tired, it really kind of breaks down. And then the defense, I thought, was great, too. The defense had to be great because Iran was pressuring that entire second half. The second half was kind of like the Wales game. The U.S. were dominant in the first half. Second half, Wales kind of gained momentum. Iran kind of gained momentum, especially in the last 20 minutes of the match. It was all Iran. And there were, there were definitely chances. They definitely tried to get fouls in the box for penalties. Didn't work. And I thought that was because the defense played great. Jedi Robinson on the left. Serginho Dest on the right, I thought, had his best game of the World Cup. And then Tim Ream, of course. But next to him, the other center back of that back four, was Cameron Carter-Vickers. It wasn't Walker Zimmerman, which I thought was a big surprise. But CCV, Cameron Carter-Vickers, I thought, played really well. And then later on, Berhalter subs out Wea for Walker Zimmerman, who had been starting. So now you've got a back five, and that was, of course, because Iran kept pressuring, and he knew that was going to happen because you parked the bus. And at the end of the game, Greg Berhalter's like, well, I don't. Th- I think I've lost some hair on my head, or it's gray, or whatever. I'm like, yeah, because of your tactics! Oh my gosh, it's a good thing. Just the things I was saying about Greg Berhalter. But overall, just looking at it, we are in the knockouts. Greg Berhalter has done his job. He's done it well. He's taken chances that we didn't think he was going to, even though we were like, you need to do this with tactics and lineups. But he did. Substitutions in the first two games were a little later than they needed to be. I mean, Gio Reyna did not start or play. He didn't play again. He had five subs and Gio Reyna didn't play. Something's up with that. Because Greg Berhalter first off said he wasn't fit. And then Reina comes out and says he is. And the Burhalter's like, oh, he is fit. It's like, well, what's going on? He played for a little bit in the England game, but we didn't get much. And he did play in the Wales game. And what we've seen from him, he's one of our best players. He's only 19 years old, but he's incredible. 
I don't know if you've seen that play in World Cup qualifying against Mexico, where he is just dribbling past defenders. Oh, one of the silkiest, smoothest runs you will ever see in this game. That was just incredible from Giorena. But, I mean, who knows what's going on there? He doesn't come on out of the five subs, but they hold on. Oh my gosh. But if they hadn't hold on, man, we would be bashing Greg Berhalter so hard. Let me just tell you, if Iran had scored a goal, which they were very close to, there was a ball that went through Matt Turner, the goalkeeper's arms. Matt Turner, who has been incredible, by the way, in this World Cup, and it was cleared off the line. Oh my gosh. That was very stressful in the final few minutes of that game, too. That game, and I know I've talked about it for like the last 20 minutes, but that game was one of the most stressful moments of my life. Watching it, I was not sitting down the entire time. I was on my knees. I was standing up. I was yelling. Oh, oh my gosh. And then we're going to do it again Saturday. Get ready. Holy cow. But by the way, Matt Turner, Matt Turner's only allowed one goal in this entire World Cup out of three games. One goal, a Gareth Bale penalty, which he got a hand on, which, by the way, no keeper in the world is saving that penalty from Gareth Bale. That was an absolute masterclass of a goal from one of the all-time greats, Gareth Bale. And Matt Turner got a hand on it, and he knew he got a hand on it. Oh my gosh. Probably did the best you can do as a keeper under that circumstance. Matt Turner, who got, who was really pivotal in the England game, and comes up clutch, especially in the Saran game. Matt Turner is the... We talked about Zach Steffen not being in the squad for reasons unknown, maybe because he was told he's not going to be the starter. That's another thing with Greg Berhalter and his lineups previously. A lot of people are like, why do you keep starting Zach Steffen? And now he starts Matt Turner. Matt Turner, who started playing soccer in high school and is now the backup keeper at Arsenal. I don't know, Mikel Arteta. I think he should be the starting goalkeeper. Debatable. Tell me what Ramsdale's done recently. But Matt Turner has been amazing. And he started. Greg Berhalter finally changed. He said, Matt Turner, you start. Oh my gosh. That's why I've been very impressed with Greg Berhalter, usually, over this World Cup. The second half, park in the bus, I don't know. I probably, uh, I don't know, would have gone for the second goal. Maybe it was because, you know, Iran ratcheted up the pressure. Maybe it was because the game really kind of changed when Pulisic went off. There was... You know, Pulisic is so important to that team, and you could kind of tell they were different, especially attacking when Pulisic wasn't there. As I said, especially with the substitutes that came on, Haji Wright especially, they looked confused attacking in their few chances they had in the second half. So, I mean, maybe Greg doesn't go as defensive if Pulisic's in the game. Of course, Aronson came on from him, and Aronson has been tremendous at Leeds. Hasn't played much in this World Cup, but Hasn't done anything terrible. He's been pretty good in this World Cup so far in the limited mid seed. So I'd just say, because after right after that game, it's a good thing I did not record this podcast. I'm recording it Tuesday night. I've had uh, five or so hours to digest that game. And looking back at that, I'm just like, thank goodness I did not record after the game, right after. Because I would not have been saying this, these things. I would have been bashing Greg Berhalter. Oh my gosh. And you know what? We won, okay? True that! We are going to the knockouts. Can they get past the round of 16, though? We'll get to that in just a second. The other team, though, in Group B, that is coming to the knockouts with the U.S. is England. England with seven points. One point against the U.S., three points against both Wales and Iran. That's seven 
They beat Wales 3-0. It was 0-0 at halftime. England came out, smashed them. Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden scored those first two goals for England. And Phil Foden started. He, of course, plays for Man City. He's done really well for Pep Guardiola and Man City, despite being so young. And a lot of England fans were not happy that he did not start against the U.S. They were like, Gareth Southgate, what are you doing? A lot of people thought England were playing for a tie against the U.S., which I don't know why you do that, but okay. The U.S. looked like the better team, and they probably would have won that game if they knew how to finish and knew how to take set pieces. That's been the thing with the U.S. in this World Cup. Set pieces. They haven't worked. Pulisic on corners has not been good. Like, something needs to change with the set pieces, because set pieces are so important in international soccer. A lot more so than in, at the club level. International soccer so- set pieces are so important. I mean, look at the Mexico-U.S. CONCACAF Nations League final from last summer. The game that I actually think really got me invested in the U.S. in this sport of soccer was that game. If you haven't watched the U.S.-Mexico CONCACAF Nations League final, you gotta watch at least the highlights of that, because it's just an incredible game. I watched it start to finish, and I think I credit that game being the game that actually got me heavily invested into this sport, which I am thankful it did, and I am right now, because I am absolutely loving this World Cup. Not just the U.S., but the World Cup. Good to know. So, Gareth Southgate makes changes against Wales, and... They dominate in the second half. 3-0. England advances. They finish first in the group. So Iran and Wales are eliminated. So we now know two of the group of 16 matchups, two out of the eight matches in the group of 16, which will take place this weekend because the group A teams play the group B teams. So Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Eastern, the United States will play the Netherlands. And Virgil van Dijk, Nathan Ake, Frankie de Jong, Memphis Depay, their manager LVG, Louis van Gaal, and who a lot of people are considering one of the breakouts of this World Cup, Cody Gakpo. Now, basically looking at what all the pundits are saying, and take with that what you will, but a lot of them are saying, you know, out of all the Netherlands teams... In past tournaments, they didn't make 2018 World Cup like the U.S., so that's kind of ironic how both of those teams who didn't make the World Cup in 2018 are playing each other now in the round of 16. But out of, you know, a bunch of the past teams that have played in the World Cup for the Netherlands, if you're the U.S., this is the team that you want. They did not look as dominant as I think a lot of people thought they would in Group A. Group A, one of the, I mean, lowest-ranked, groups according to the average of the FIFA rankings because of course you have Qatar in there Senegal lost Sadio Mane probably their best player before the tournament of course Netherlands still won 2-0 over Senegal but I mean the thing is they've been scoring goals they've scored a goal in each of their three matches they scored two in two of their matches the U.S. have scored two goals total in their three World Cup matches the issue is If the U.S. cannot score, this isn't like England's game where you just end after 90 minutes at a draw. No, you go to extra time. Then if you don't score, you go to penalties. In that case, can the U.S. beat the Netherlands? I don't know, y'all. I'm very sad saying this, but 
I think Netherlands are going to beat the U.S. on Saturday. You're a liar! I just... I, first off, Christian Pulisic is going to play, by the way. Day to day. He's going to play. This is the World Cup, so I don't think that matters. But even with him on the pitch, even if they retain possession for most of the match and they look dominant, you know, at basically all facets of the game... Can they put the ball in the back of the net? They were able to against Iran once, and then they basically shut down their offense. Against Wales, once. Against England, they had a bunch of chances. They've had a bunch of set pieces. I think if the U.S. gets better on their set pieces, they could win this game. But, I don't know. I've got Netherlands. But, you know what, U.S.? Prove me wrong. Please prove me wrong. I want to be wrong. I actually want to be wrong. I do not want the U.S. to lose. But in my heart, I want the U.S. to win. In my brain, I think that Netherlands will win. No one cares. Let's hope my brain is wrong. Let's hope that is not a fact. Because let's hope the U.S. beat Netherlands and advance to the quarterfinals. This young team, all their best guys, really. I mean, in their early 20s. I mean, this is a team that, if they got to the quarterfinals, they'd be really good. They'd be really good. If they don't, if they stay in the round of 16, I think that's okay. Because they are really young, and all the players that you see right now, Tyler Adams, by the way, 23, Christian Pulisic, 24, Tim Weah, Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, all these guys, Giovanni Reina, Brennan Aronson, and that's on offense, Jedi Robinson, Miles Robinson, his brother, usually plays in defense. Is probably he could take Tim Ream's spot in 2026. He's not playing right now because he's injured. He got injured with Atlanta United. They're all young. Serginho Dest, Matt Turner is young as well. This is a really young team. This is the second youngest team in this World Cup, this roster. And they're probably not first because of Tim Ream bumping it up with 35, but he's played really well. I mean, we're going to say this over the next four years or so, but just to let you all know, you know, this is not the tournament the U.S. need to go far and win. This is the tournament where you build momentum and you get experience. Because in 2018, if the U.S. had made the World Cup in 2018, the roster would have been old, tired, sluggish, with the exception of Pulisic and maybe a couple others. But this roster is new, fresh, exciting. The England game was supposed to be the one where... By the way, we don't have the full numbers in yet, but apparently Fox is saying it's the most watched World Cup game in the U.S. ever. It's like 15 or so million viewers, which includes the pregame and the postgame show, which is pretty insane. The actual biggest numbers, I think, are around 24 million for the actual game, not including the pre-match show and the post-match show. Now, we're going to get that number later this week. That could be huge. A lot of people were watching that England game. A lot of people were watching that Wales game. A lot of people were probably watching that Iran game, even though it's a work day. Who cares? It's the World Cup. It only happens once every four years, and it never happens in the fall. Spitting the truth. But that England game was really the one where you think there's a lot of non-traditional casual soccer fans who are watching this. This is the game that turns them onto the sport in the United States of America. There's a lot of people complaining, nil, nil, that's boring. But if you actually watch the game, the U.S. were better than England. They played better than England in that game. If you actually watch, 
Oh my gosh. And they were better than Iran. They were better than Wales. They've been the better team in all three of their matches. That's not even biased towards the US. That's a fact. Fact! They were better in all three games. They just can't score goals. That's the only issue. They just can't score goals. If they could, they'd probably have nine points right now. But again, this is not the tournament where the US really need to go far and prove that they can be a semi-finalist or go to the final of the World Cup. This is to gain experience for these guys, you know? 2026 is the year where the expectations are going to be high for the U.S. On home soil with a more experienced squad. We'll have four years to talk about that, though, so. And by the way, I have been yabbering for, like, way too long about the U.S. So maybe I should, like, stop now. But the other round of 16 game that we know is Senegal and England. Ecuador, actually, people thought would win that game against Senegal. Be They looked the better team throughout the World Cup, just not in that game against Senegal. Ecuador, probably the most dangerous team against England. I think England will advance. By the way, in the Euros, which happened last summer, in their second game in the group stage, England drew Scotland, which, by the way, for the people in England, is way more embarrassing than drawing the U.S. Drug Scotland, nil-nil. And England went on to the final of that Euros and only lost some penalties. I think England will be fine, especially because they probably won't have to play the U.S. again. So there's that. So I think England will win that game. And I think Netherlands will win. But hopefully not. USA, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, please. Are you stupid? Zader's facts. So those are the two round of 16 games that we know right now. We've got six other groups, though, that we should probably get through pretty quickly. Group C. Poland has four points, Argentina three points, Saudi Arabia three points, Mexico one point in Group C. How about these matchups in the final match day, which is today, Wednesday the 30th, 2 p.m. Eastern, Poland-Argentina, Mexico-Saudi Arabia. Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia, remember that big upset, but they beat Mexico. Mexico has a point because they drew Poland, and Poland have four points because they beat Saudi Arabia and they drew Mexico. So basically, all four teams really have a good shot at winning. Mexico, though, has probably the worst chance. They need to beat Saudi Arabia, and then they need some help with goal differential with Poland and Argentina. If Poland win, they beat Argentina, and Mexico win, it's Poland and Mexico moving on. If And by the way, if Mexico draws or loses, they're just out. Saudi Arabia still has a chance, too. Argentina! I mean, they have three points. Messi, the Argentinian Aronson, they call him. Messi's final World Cup. Are they going to get out in the group stage? It's certainly a possibility. Group C is, oof, there could be a lot of stuff that happens in Group C. And we will find out who advances and who was eliminated today. The other group that plays today is Group D. Those games, 10 a.m. Eastern. France has six points. They've advanced. Australia has three points. And then Denmark and Tunisia both have a point. The Socceroos, they, well, lost to France. But they beat Tunisia. Denmark and Tunisia tied, drew, so they have a point. France has six because they beat Australia, and they also beat Denmark. They play Tunisia in the final match day, which is today, 10 a.m. Eastern. I mean, that game doesn't really matter unless... Somehow, someway, Tunisia beat France, then they have a chance of actually advancing with France. The game that matters, though, is Australia-Denmark. Whoever wins, I mean, 
you can, let's just say France beats Tunisia, okay? Or draws, because Tunisia, come on. I mean, seriously, we've seen Saudi Arabia beat Argentina, but France has looked really good in this World Cup. France, by the way, advanced first time since 2006 that the defending champion advances out of the group. That's pretty crazy, but France has looked really good. They picked up right where they left off in 2018. So France is probably going to be Tunisia. Australia, Denmark. If there's a winner, they advance. If they draw, it's the Socceroos. And I picked Australia. I think a lot of people are rooting for Denmark, though, with Christian Eriksen and his story. And he's back on the pitch, and he's been playing really well for Manchester United and Denmark. But, I don't know, Socceroos. I just love Socceroos. So Australia. But, I mean, here's the thing. That's the game to watch at 10 a.m. If Australia win... They're in. If Denmark win, they're in. If they draw, Australia's in. There you go. That's basically Group D. And then Group E plays on Thursday, their final matches. Right now, Spain is at four points. Japan and Costa Rica are at three. And Germany is at one. Hmm. Germany's at one because they drew Spain, but they lost to Japan. Japan beat Germany, but they lost to Costa Rica. That's why they have three points, both those teams. And Spain has four because they drew Germany and beat Costa Rica. 7-0, they beat Costa Rica. Whoa. And then Costa Rica comes back and beats the team that beat Germany. Like, just wow. So now, in the final match day, Spain plays Japan, Costa Rica plays Germany. Germany must win. And I think they need to win by a couple points, too. That would give them four Because any other result, they draw, they lose, they're out to Costa Rica. And then, they might need to hope for Spain or Japan, that result. If Spain wins, and Germany wins, Germany's through, Spain is through. If Spain and Japan draw, and Germany wins, Japan's then at 4 points, Spain's in at 5 points. So it's up to goal differential for Japan and Germany. And right now, Japan's at a 0 goal differential, Germany's at negative 1, minus 1. So Germany would need to win by two goals against Costa Rica because Japan beat them head-to-head. And then if Japan win and Spain lose, Germany would need to win by, whoa, like eight goals? Because Spain's goal differential is plus seven. I mean, I guess if Japan won, that would go down, but Germany would still need to to win by a bunch of goals against Costa Rica. To have a chance if Japan won. If Costa Rica wins, they're in. If they draw with Germany, they're at four. And then it's up to the Spain-Japan result. And Costa Rica's goal differential is minus six. So they're probably going to lose that goal differential if they draw. So that's Group E. Those games are 2 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Then you get a Group F. Croatia, four points. Morocco, four points. Belgium, three points. And Canada, zero points. Canada has been eliminated. So sad. Listen, I told y'all two weeks ago in the preview podcast, watch out for Canada. They were the best team in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Watch out for them. And against Belgium, they looked really good. They should not have lost against Belgium. They got some bad calls in that game. But they did. And then John Herdman, their manager, basically said, I just told the guys, We're going to go F up Croatia. And the Croatian tabloids did not take kind to that. Uh, If you've seen the images, 
they are a little inappropriate, I would say. And Canada actually got effed up by Croatia. Croatia won the second match against Canada 4-1. Alfonso Davies for Canada actually scored in the first minute. That's the first ever World Cup goal for Canada. How about that? But that was the only goal they scored. But they were looking, they were looking really good. It's just like the US, they're really young too. And they'll be playing on home soil mostly in 2026 as well. So Canada's a team to watch in the future as well. But Croatia has four points because they also drew Morocco. Morocco also has four points because Morocco drew Croatia. And Morocco beat Belgium 2-0. Like, how about that? Morocco, ugh, let me tell y'all. Not the biggest fan of Morocco, me. By the way, the U.S. beat Morocco like 3-0 back in the summer in a friendly. So, I mean, there you go. But Morocco's done really well in this World Cup. Belgium has three points because they beat Canada. Belgium has not looked that great, though. And Kevin De Bruyne, one of their star players, maybe their star player, basically came out and said, he was asked, can you win the World Cup this year? He said, no, we're too old. Which, I mean, was probably just a play on the media saying that they've been too old because everybody's been saying it, including on this podcast, because it's true, really, they are old. Their golden generation is really winding down. And they are in trouble. They might not get out of this group. But Group F's final matches are Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Belgium play Croatia. Morocco play Canada. Croatia, Morocco, Belgium are fighting for two spots in the knockouts. Both of those games probably are going to be ones to watch. Set up your multi-screen because those will be good ones to watch. Now we get a Group G. His final games are on. Friday, which is the last day of the group stage. Group G, Brazil, six points. They have advanced. Switzerland has three. Cameroon and Serbia each have a point. Brazil is without Neymar for the rest of the group stage, which is one game. But that really doesn't matter, apparently, because they have looked spectacular even without him. I mean, their wins... Just looking at him, 2-0 over Serbia, 1-0 over Switzerland. <laughs> Not that decisive, but just the ways they've dominated those games. Brazil, it's clear why Brazil was one of, if not the, favorite in this tournament. Brazil's pretty good. Switzerland, though, have three points because they beat Cameroon 1-0. They play Serbia Friday, 2 Eastern, and then Brazil will play Cameroon, Group G. So basically, Switzerland, Cameroon, and Serbia are all fighting for one spot because Brazil has already advanced. Switzerland, if they win, they're in. Cameroon, if they beat Brazil, they would have four points. Then they would need to have a better goal differential than Serbia if they win or Switzerland if Switzerland and Serbia draw. But if Switzerland wins, they're out. And same with Serbia. They would need a better goal differential than Cameroon if Cameroon were able to beat Brazil. But if not, Serbia would advance. So what are you talking about? There's how Group G plays out those games. 2 p.m. Eastern on Friday. And then Group H, our final group. Finally, holy cow, we have taken a long time on this. Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Ghana will play Uruguay. And Portugal will play South Korea. Portugal has advanced. They have six points. 
Ghana has three, South Korea has one, and so does Uruguay. Portugal have looked pretty, pretty good so far. 3-2 over Ghana, which wasn't that impressive, but 2-0 over Uruguay, I thought, was impressive. Now, Portugal plays South Korea. Portugal have already advanced. South Korea need a win to stay alive, and so do Uruguay. And Ghana, really, too. But if Ghana drew and South Korea lost to Portugal or drew, Ghana would be in. So again, you've got Ghana, South Korea, and Uruguay, three teams fighting for one spot because Portugal has already advanced. So there you go, y'all. That is this week's World Cup update on the Zaders Facts podcast. I know we spent a lot of time talking about this and the U.S. men's national team, but it's very important, of course. Because you gotta support your national team. I keep telling you, and a lot of people are right now, so thank goodness. I've seen a lot of hype videos for the U.S. men's national team on my social media feeds. Which, eh, you know, kind of annoying. But I'm just glad a lot of people are watching soccer right now. So, there you go. U.S. play this Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern against Netherlands. Come on, USA. I know I picked Netherlands to win, but that's like unofficial. I am still pulling. Absolutely. Die hard. For the United States men's national team. Oh my gosh. Yes, please. America. So Saturday and Sunday are when the round of 16 games begin. Monday and Tuesday will also have round of 16 games. Wednesday and Thursday of next week will be the first days without games. So we could actually provide an update and things will be up to date for a couple of days on this podcast. How about that? But then we'll move into the quarterfinals. And then two weeks from now, will be the semifinals, and then the third place game, and the final. So yeah, we're halfway, we're over halfway done in terms of match load through this World Cup, and we've only got about two and a half weeks left. So how about that? Xander's Facts World Cup Update. U.S.A. Are we done yet? We are not done on the Xander's Facts Podcast. I've got one more thing to talk about it. I'll try and go quick on this. College football. It is conference championship week because the college football season is already winding down. I feel like we just talked about it a couple weeks ago. It was back in September, though, when we had our college football season preview, and I don't think we've talked about it since because I just haven't paid that much attention to it, I guess. Do better. But it's hard to believe. The regular season concluded last weekend. Rivalry week was last weekend. Now it's time, though, for the conference championship games. It is the last chance for a couple of teams at the top to impress the college football playoff committee before the final college football playoff rankings are released this Sunday. Then we are going to know the four teams that are in this year's college football playoff. And by the way, Tuesday evening, the penultimate college football playoff rankings were revealed. And I'll just tell you the top four right now, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. If you haven't watched college football this year, you're like, TCU, USC, Michigan, Georgia, what in the world? I'm not going to explain the entire season to you. I'm just going to break down these games. But I will just let you know that I have been predicting all of the college football games that feature a top 25 ranked opponent on the Xander's Facts Instagram page each week, which you should go check out. Seamless bug. But this week, my predictions are going to be on the podcast. I'm also going to post them to the socials. But I am releasing them exclusively first here on this podcast. So let's get to that. We've also got a couple things off the field to talk about. So we will talk about that at the end. 
But let's break down these conference championship games in college football. Let's start with the Power Five conferences, the ACC. Number nine, Clemson takes on number 23, North Carolina, Saturday at 8 o'clock from Charlotte, North Carolina on ABC. Both of these teams actually lost in rivalry week. Clemson snapped their 40-game home winning streak. It was snapped by in-state rival South Carolina. Shane Beamer, how about that? And North Carolina fell to NC State in double overtime. Now, Carolina, 9-3 this season, number 23 in the country. They were higher than that before. They've had two straight losses to end their season. And really, ever since Mac Brown has come back to coach Carolina, there's been a lot of hype on Carolina. Oh, they're going to be really good. But they haven't turned out to be. This year, though, it was kind of under the radar, but they turned out to be pretty well. That was thanks in part to redshirt freshman quarterback Drake May, who's got Carolina fans definitely excited for the future. Clemson, meanwhile, was still in the hunt for the college football playoff up until this weekend. They came into the weekend with only one loss. That was a 35-14 stunning loss, really, to Notre Dame. Not just that they lost, but that they got blown out by Notre Dame, who hasn't been that great this year, but has really turned it up as the season has progressed. And they hadn't lost to in-state rival South Carolina since 2013. Seriously? Fighting Shane Beamers, though. 31-30, they came in and shot Clemson. South Carolina also had a big win at home against Tennessee. Gamecocks are really improving under Shane Beamer, especially this year. But Clemson... Oof. DJ Uyagalele was their quarterback for a second straight season, and for a second straight year, no college football playoff appearance. So, Cade Klubnick, who actually played a little bit for Clemson this year, the highly touted freshman, he may be next up for the Tigers. We'll see what Dabo does. But with two losses, Clemson's out. They're number nine in the rankings. So is Carolina. But I think Dabo's probably going to have the Tigers ready to bounce back in Charlotte. So I've got Clemson reclaiming the ACC title because before Clemson missed out on the title game last year and Pittsburgh won the ACC championship, Clemson had won the last six ACC championship games. I will say it becomes seven in eight years. I say Clemson defeats North Carolina. So that's the ACC. How about the Big Ten though? It's Purdue taking on number two Michigan. Saturday at 8 o'clock from Indianapolis on Fox. Now, Purdue comes out of the Big Ten West. That was pretty crowded at the top this year. Three teams finished 5-4 and four in the conference, Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota, but Purdue went 6-3. and three. So they will be representing the division in the Big Ten, and apparently this is the second-to-last year of divisions in the Big Ten. Next year for the ACC, they will no longer have divisions. It'll just be the top two teams of the conference in the championship game. But in the Big Ten, Purdue advance. The Boilermakers are averaging 28.6 points per game this year, thanks to part to quarterback Aiden O'Connell, but they also give up an average of 23.1 points per game. So that's just a five-point cushion, and Purdue finished 8-4 and four overall this year. That's a lot of numbers. Now, on the other hand, it's been another stellar year for Michigan under Jim Harbaugh, thanks in part to running back Blake Corum, a Heisman contender who ran for nearly 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns this season. For the second straight year, Michigan has won the Big Ten East because they defeated their arch rival, 
Ohio State for the second straight year. But this year's win was arguably more impressive considering the Wolverines exploded in the fourth quarter on their way to a 45-23 win in Ohio Stadium where they had not won since 2000. That's a fact! That game actually was where Michigan was number three, Ohio State was number two. It got 17 million viewers on Saturday, the most watched college football game this season, and Fox's most watched regular season college football game ever. That was the day after they got, apparently, the most watched soccer game in the United States ever. And two days after, they had Cowboys-Giants on Thanksgiving, which got 42 million viewers, the most watched NFL regular season game ever. So Fox was on a bit of a tear this weekend. But on to the game. Probably not as many people are going to tune into this Big Ten Championship game as 17 million. And I'll say that's probably because I don't think it's going to be close. Michigan looks better than last year, and they should cruise by Purdue to clinch a second straight college football playoff berth, this time with no losses so far this year. They had one loss heading into the playoff last year. I say Michigan beats Purdue. Now to the Big 12, number 10, Kansas State, number 3, TCU. That game is Saturday at noon from Jerry World in Arlington, Texas on ABC. The shocker of the college football season is probably Texas Christian University. The Horn Frogs of TCU stunned the Big 12 and the college football world by basically running through the conference undefeated in Sonny Dykes' first season as head coach in Fort Worth, led by quarterback Max Duggan and his 3,070 passing yards and 29 touchdowns. TCU have survived tough tests against a Texas team that was better this year. They got a last-second field goal to win at Baylor, and they defeated Kansas State by 10 points earlier this season. And then on the other side, you've got Kansas State, the Wildcats, who have also been a bit of a surprise as well in the Big 12. Their three losses are all to respectable opponents this year, TCU, Texas, and a ranked two-lane team. We'll actually get to them in a second. But Deuce Vaughn has carried the offense with nearly 1,300 yards on the ground, and Nebraska transfer quarterback Adrian Martinez has been out with an injury for parts of the season, but still, Kansas State has done really well. Their defense is allowing just 19.4 points per game, but that's going to go up against the TCU offense that has been on fire, averaging 41.3 points per game this season. A loss could maybe, possibly, make things murky for TCU's playoff hopes, considering they are the lowest ranked of the three remaining undefeated teams. But I expect them to win a close game in Texas. I've got TCU over Kansas State. Now to the Pac-12, number 11, Utah, number 4, USC. Friday, 8 o'clock from Las Vegas on Fox, starting off with the Utes of Utah, who looked like the Pac-12's best heading into the season, but a quick loss to Florida, which hasn't turned out to be a pretty good loss, set Utah back a bit among the top teams on the West Coast, or Utah's not really on the West Coast, but in the western part of the country. In fact, they only made it to the Pac-12 championship game because Washington was able to beat Washington State last weekend. 
they were relying on results of other games. But Cameron Rising and his 22 touchdowns have carried the Utes along for nine wins, including a one-point win over USC in October. And if you watch James Draws on TikTok, you know he was excited about that. While their losses have been to Florida, UCLA, and Oregon. Now, in Lincoln Riley's first year at the helm of USC, the Trojans have returned to the national spotlight. I said, Lincoln Riley's come to USC. I said my college football playoff preview, if you can remember, a couple months ago. USC is going to get good, but maybe not this year. But they have gotten good this year. In fact, the Trojans have only lost one game this season, a one-point loss to Utah, huh. led by over 3,700 passing yards and 34 touchdowns from Heisman candidate Caleb Williams, who also came over from Oklahoma with Riley. The Trojans have looked like the best team in the conference. Nearly every test they have passed, except for that Utah one, of course. That was close, though, including two tough wins against ranked rivals UCLA and Notre Dame to close out the regular season. Now, this is a rematch from what was a great game back in October. The Trojans' offense has been lights out. They've averaged over 500 yards per game this season. That's insane. It's hard to pick against USC. I do think it's going to be a close game in Las Vegas, and I do think that UCLA gets revenge. They pull out a tight one, and they make their case to be in the playoff. How about that? USC over Utah in the Pac-12. Now, final conference championship game of the Power Five. It's the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, number 14, LSU, and number one, Georgia, on Saturday at 4 o'clock Eastern from Atlanta on CBS. Let's start with LSU, because... I mean, admittedly, I was like, really, LSU, Brian Kelly, okay, at the beginning of the season. And there were, I was not the only one. All the jokes about Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU and immediately gaining a Southern accent somehow have faded throughout the season because the Tigers have been pulling out massive dubs over Ole Miss and Alabama, but their loss to Florida State at the beginning of the season still haunts over how that game ended. That was absolutely insane. I posted a TikTok about that, I think. That was so crazy. I didn't ask that. And then, also this year, LSU got punched in the mouth by Tennessee. Tennessee, by the way, has been incredible this year. It's just they've had a couple of losses against Georgia and South Carolina. But Tennessee was number one by the College Football Playoff Committee. They were ranked top in the country. That was only for a week, but they've been they've been really good this year. They're just on the SEC championship game because they lost to Georgia. But no loss this year for LSU was probably worse than losing in the last game of the season to a depleted Texas A&M team, 38-23. Jimbo's team was not good this year. I don't know what's going on with Jimbo. He gets the best recruiting classes, and then he complains when Nick Saban says they were bought. Like, first off, they probably were, and then you can't do anything with them? Like, they were terrible this year. Good grief. But that's LSU. Over to Georgia, the Dogs, who are top-ranked. They went undefeated in the regular season for the second straight year. 
Last year, the only loss for this year's defending champions was in this game, the SEC championship game against Alabama, who they then beat in the national championship game. After two losses to LSU and Tennessee, though, Alabama are a super long shot to make this year's playoff. Even if Georgia loses this game, I think Georgia's going to get in. Thanks to the work of quarterback Stetson Bennett, who came back after winning the national championship last year and a massive home win against then-top-ranked Tennessee, as I said, was really what propelled Georgia. Georgia was top-ranked, I believe, in the AP poll, but they weren't in the college football playoff at that time. Georgia was like, uh-uh, we're top-ranked, and they they pretty much crushed Tennessee, actually. So, this game, the SEC championship game, LSU were pretty lucky. They already had clinched the SEC West before their game against A&M, because they looked absolutely dreadful against A&M. Another dreadful team. Maybe they were looking ahead to Georgia, and if so, let's hope they play much better. But I just do not see Georgia and their head coach, Kirby Smart. They remember what happened in last year's SEC championship game. I do not see them losing this time. I've got Georgia over LSU. So those are the big ones. The Power 5 conference championships. The ones that could decide the playoff berths. But there's also some group of five championship games I want to predict. So, oh, yay. Let's start with the American. This is a top 25 matchup. Number 22 UCF, number 18 Tulane. This game's Saturday at four o'clock on ABC from New Orleans at Tulane Stadium. And remember UCF a couple years ago, 2017, I guess it was, which was five years ago. That's crazy. But Scott Frost, they went undefeated. They wanted to call themselves national champions because they won every game, but they didn't make it to the playoff. UCF maybe are back under their head coach Gus Malzahn. Maybe, maybe not. Tulane, though, have been a big surprise in the group of five. They've turned a lot of heads this year, but there's a spot in a New Year's Six Bowl game on the line. It would be in the Cotton Bowl Classic. And in case the SEC game turns into a blowout, this might be a nice backup option to watch because this will be after, of course, the U.S. play on Saturday. That's at 10 a.m. But a couple of weeks ago, UCF beat the Green Wave of Tulane in a great seven-point game. This time, I think Tulane gets revenge, a conference championship, and a New Year's Six bowl berth. How about that? Tulane beats UCF. Then over to Conference USA. It's North Texas and UTSA. This game is Friday at 7.30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network from San Antonio. The Roadrunners of UTSA, far and away the class of Conference USA this year. 10-2 and two was their record. Their only two losses came against Houston and Texas. Against North Texas, I would expect the Roadrunners from San Antonio to dominate on Friday night. UTSA over North Texas. Then we've got the MAC, real tough matchups here. Toledo against Ohio, Saturday at noon on ESPN in Detroit. That's up in the Mid-American. Ohio were the only MAC team who got more than six wins in the conference this year. They got seven against the Rockets of Toledo. I've got the Bobcats from Athens, Ohio. Ohio over Toledo. Then in the Mountain West, Fresno State takes on Boise State. That game is Saturday at 4 o'clock on Fox from Boise, Idaho. Boise State just keeps on continuing to top the Mountain West. They finished the regular season with no conference losses, but they do have a tough test against Fresno State, who only lost once in the conference this year. 
That loss was to Boise State. Nice fact. Revenge game. I've got the Bulldogs from Fresno. Fresno State over Boise State on the road. How about that? And then in the Sun Belt, our final conference championship game, Coastal Carolina and Troy, Saturday at 3.30 on ESPN from Troy, Alabama. And actually, in the Sun Belt, they have divisions, but Coastal Carolina didn't actually finish on top of the Eastern Division. James Madison did. It's their first year in the FBS, though, so they're ineligible to play in this game. So, because of that, I will take Troy to win at home. How about that? So, there you go. Conference championship games. Those are my picks. So that's what's going to happen. Zaders Facts, and they'll also be on the Zaders Facts Instagram page. And remember, we're going to learn the four teams in the college football playoff on Sunday. We'll also learn all the bowl matchups. And you know how I love bowl season. It's kind of contradicting with World Cup. They probably won't overlap that much, but uh, I am going to like bowl. I always love bowl season, though. Just these random teams playing in random places, winning random things. It's just so weird. It's amazing. It doesn't make any sense. But, of course, I will have my picks for all those games on this podcast. And we'll talk about the college football playoff when it gets closer by the end of December. We'll talk about that on this podcast. But before we wrap up this podcast, before we wrap up the college football talk, I just wanted to talk about the off-season moves that are happening in college football. Because there are teams playing this weekend, there are teams who are playing in bowl games later on, but there are several teams who did not qualify for a bowl game. They did not win six games this year, and whose seasons are over. Nice try, buddy. That means the off-season coaching carousel is already in full force, even for teams who are still going to play in a bowl game. And while it probably won't be as crazy as last year, Because remember, last year was crazy. Lincoln Riley went to USC from Oklahoma. Brian Kelly went to LSU from Notre Dame. There were a couple other headliners in there last offseason. Probably not going to be that crazy this year. But there are still plenty of big-name programs who are looking for their next head coach. Among the notable schools include Wisconsin. Because the Badgers moved on from their head coach, Paul Christ, earlier this season. They then tapped Cincinnati's Luke Fickle as their next head coach, and that came as a bit of a surprise because many thought that interim head coach Jim Leonard would get the job and that Fickle was probably content at Cincinnati until a certain job came open. By the way, that certain job where he played and has coached Ohio State. Turns out Fickle's got a couple million reasons why he made the jump, if you know what I'm saying. Get that dough! And... If he can sprinkle some of that magic he did for Cincinnati, things will be all right in Madison. Remember, he got Cincinnati to the college football playoff, the first, and as of now, only group of five teams to reach the college football playoff. They went there last season. And even after losing a bunch of talent from that team, a bunch of veteran talent, they've still popped into the rankings a couple times this year. So Luke Fickle's done really well at Cincinnati, and he's probably going to do really well at Wisconsin too, but we'll see. Another big name, though, in the Big Ten who was looking for a new coach was Nebraska, and the Cornhuskers also made a splash by hiring Matt Rule. You may know that name because he presided over the massive turnarounds at Temple and at Baylor before he got hired by the Carolina Panthers, then fizzled out and got fired by the Carolina Panthers earlier this season. But Rule's got a pretty good track record of college football 
He's replacing Scott Frost, though, who was supposed to be the savior of Nebraska football and faltered massively. I mean, who knows? Scott Frost was supposed to be the savior. Remember, Scott Frost, undefeated UCF, he coached that team, and then he goes to Nebraska, and they just didn't look good, really, at all the whole time he was there. So, But we'll see about Nebraska. And then you go south, there's Arizona State, who was replacing Herm Edwards, Herm, with Kenny Dillingham, who is the offensive coordinator of Oregon, who is an Arizona State alum and is just 32 years old. How about that? You've also got Charlotte, who hired Michigan associate head coach Biff Poggy, who at 62 years old has never before been a college head coach. And then on Tuesday, oh boy, Auburn announced that they had hired Liberties, Hugh Freeze. You! Freeze was previously the head coach at Ole Miss, where the program reached number one in the polls and defeated Alabama in back-to-back seasons. But Freeze was fired from Alabama because it was found he called escorts on his work phone, and the program dealt with several NCAA violations while he was coach. Then at Liberty, this is, oh boy, this is from last summer, this past summer, 2022, if you don't remember, Freeze messaged a woman who filed a lawsuit against Liberty alleging sexual harassment. The message came from Twitter, DMs, direct messages on Twitter. The DMs apparently came in around midnight, there were several of them from several different days, with Freeze messaging in one of them, which was posted by this woman on Twitter, Quote, you don't even know Ian McCaw. He is the most Jesus-like leader I have, unquote. So, if you didn't know anything about Hugh Freeze or Ian McCaw, now you know all about him, because the most Jesus-like leader I have is quite the statement. If you don't know who Ian McCaw is, though, he is the current athletic director at Liberty. He was the athletic director at Baylor, but he was forced to resign. That was because when he was athletic director, the school covered up sexual assault. That was several years ago. There was a big thing there at Baylor about that. So, yeah, maybe not the most Jesus-like leader. I don't even know what that means. So there's a lot of baggage on Hugh Freeze. But at Auburn, as long as he's good at football, they won't care. It's Auburn. There's also a couple of other big-name jobs open as well. That includes Stanford, where longtime head coach David Shaw resigned, Georgia Tech, where Jeff Collins was fired earlier this season. Then you've got Cincinnati, where Luke Fickle just left to coach Wisconsin, and Colorado, where Carl Doral was fired earlier this year, and Jackson State head coach Deion Sanders, also known as Coach Prime, nice, says that he was actually offered the job which is very rare. You usually don't have people actually coming out and saying, yeah, I was offered that job while the negotiations are going on. But that's Coach Prime. And then you've got a bunch of other job openings in group of five schools. So there you have it. That's basically the college football offseason coaching carousel. And that's this week's update for everything that's going on in college football because conference championship week is coming up this week weekend. Remember, Sanders Facts on Instagram. I've got my predictions on these games and the upcoming bowl games. I will post those on the Xanders Facts Instagram page. Follow it, like it, heart it, whatever. 
check it out on Instagram, Xander's Facts. So there you go. Those are all the facts I've got on episode 84 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you liked all the facts you heard on this week's edition of the Xander's Facts podcast, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 84, rate and review the podcast, go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Xander's Facts is on there too. That's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends. Spread facts! Xander's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends about the podcast, about Xander's Weekend Facts, about Xander's Facts on YouTube, because this episode and a bunch of other episodes are on YouTube. Check that out. Subscribe to the YouTube page and check out the Xander's Facts link tree. It's got all the Xander's Facts links that you need, including for Xander'sFacts.com and the Xander's Facts Shop. So that's episode 84. Episode 85 is coming up next week. Tune in for that one because we will have another update on this World Cup. Hopefully, I know in my brain I said no, but in my heart, please, U.S. men's national team, hopefully they are still alive and on to the quarterfinals. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, episode 85 next week is going to have another World Cup update on this podcast. So that's basically it. That's a wrap on episode 84 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 85 next week. Z-A-N-D-E-R-S-F-A-C-T-S dot com.